Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, injuries are a part of sports, especially professionally. But there is a point in an athlete's professional life that they have to ask themselves, How bad do I want it? Here are some of the greatest performances with injuries in NFL history. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, welcome in. Finally, late drop on Wednesday. We'll get back to the mornings, I promise. Got those uh, stiff pieces of notes, of paper. But here we go. NFL historians and lovers of sports history, welcome in. This show is for you guys and gals, but it's cool. As we always say, if you already know this stuff, congratulations. Put your hands together for those who already know it all. All right, thank you. But there's always someone else who doesn't. This show is for those who don't know as much about NFL history. So this is what I'm here to do. I'm here to enlighten, teach, and learn. This is the Behind the Mic Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Neal Jr. The show is presented by Belly Up Sports, the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network, Belly Up Media. Check us out on bellyupsports.com. Click on the website. Check out the shows, the merch. Also, read the stories. We have some great writers. And also, as always, you can catch us on our new home, it's called Megaphone. All right, yeah, just like just like the yeah, like the cheerleaders use. Megaphone. And you can check us out on all the favorites like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. And of course, we have shows that are also on YouTube. So Friday, I'm talking to one of my uh college buddies. His name's Kurt Steele. Uh he actually used to be with Billy Up and uh um he's a writer. He writes for the Lions uh in different capacities, yard barker and such. And uh, we got to talking about football as always. I had a job interview last week, uh, you know, for a full-time position in radio. Hopefully I get it. If not, hey, it just wasn't for me. That would be great, though. It's, it's part of the, the the next step to the dream job, right? And uh, even in the midst of us talking about that stuff that we went through in school and how we it prepared us 
we got to talking about sports as always, and our favorite subject is football. And so we was talking about the Lions and some of the things that he's been writing. Um, but it got to the point where we were talking about voluntary workouts and mandatory workouts. And basically, it got to injuries and how, you know, we have these guys. It's just a lot of money that's being risked uh, <laughs> to a blown Achilles or something like that, even in this day and time of light workouts, no contact, shells and hats, you know, or T-shirts and shorts. You know what I mean? It's not hit, hit, hit. And look, I kind of agree with it. And it should be at least it seems like there are less injuries. Maybe it's because social media and reports and the 24-hour news cycle, especially in sports, tells you every fingernail that gets clipped and every toenail uh, or, or toe that gets stubbed as well as the blown ACL, the broken this, and the torn that. But they don't want to risk it. We got to talking about comparing it to the old school way of doing things. Not saying that it was necessarily better, but it just seemed to me that these guys played through a lot of things. It's almost like this. And please bear with me and hear me out. And if you don't agree with it, okay, I mean, it's not necessarily... I guess you say it's an opinion. I mean, it's not exactly a opinionated type show, but this is the way I kind of look at it. It's like the more and more you try to protect yourself, it seems to me, the more and more things happen. It's almost like when we talk about drivers, drivers, where if you're out there, you're trying to be too careful and drive too slowly. Sometimes you're the one causing a wreck. Yeah. But it seems to me, uh, also, and this kind of came out in our conversation. It's like it's like the body is overworked. It's year round and everything. The body gets overly prepared, and it means you and you're tightening up muscles. You know, yeah, you're getting stronger, but you're tightening up muscles. Also, leaving room for the things to snap and, and things to break and the things to to be injured, if if not more frequently, probably a little more easily. Does that make sense? And you think about um, some of the things that, uh, and I think in talking about Jim Brown, we brought up Jim Brown. I did my last show on Jim Brown. The guy played all nine years, never missed a game. And he's playing, you know, late 50s and going through to the mid-60s, right? And, I mean, there were people getting hurt. There's always been injuries in sports. That's never changed, never going to change. But, you know, like I said, we, we talked about that, um, how he never missed a game. He was playing 12 and 14-game seasons. Now we're up to 17 now. And it doesn't mean that guys didn't get hurt back then. Same thing happens now. But we was talking about that. I thought it was a really, really interesting conversation. Um, but then I'm sitting in the studio on Saturday, you know, and preparing for one of the shows. And I got I always have ESPN on. And uh, and then there's this guy comes up on the, on the show during Sports Center. Uh, and it's MJ Metz, the baseball player, the college basketball, uh, baseball player for Duke. He hits three home runs with a torn ACL 10 days after he suffered the, the torn ACL. And uh, you know, the guy's playing anyway, and he's smacking home runs. Now, don't get me wrong. Medicine is a lot farther along than it used to be. But sometimes, you know, pushing through and doing some of these things despite your injuries it still is amazing people don't know what that's like a lot of people don't know what it's like to have an acl injury and i understand that even athletes whether it's college or professional they have a lot better care 
than some of us regular people that, you know, make terror and ACL. And it's going to take us longer to heal up as opposed to, you know, someone who's going to have, you know, the doctor that's the top one in the country or one of them that's going to fix me. Um, but then I love the way that uh, Sports Center they kind of gave me the idea for today's show. And they did a rundown of about four athletes, I think it was. They talked about Kirk Gibson, you know, with the walk-off home run in the 88 World Series, the two-run homer in game one. And he never played anymore after that. But he came in and hit the dinger that, you know, pushed the Dodgers toward a, a step towards a title, and despite two very bad knees. And speaking of which, you have, um, uh, well, not knees, but legs. Byron Leftwich in 2002 when he was playing for Marshall at quarterback. Yes, the current offensive coordinator for the Buccaneers. You know, he had a broken leg against Akron, refused to come out of the game, was trying to bring them back. Yes, they lost the game, but you have to drive when they're carrying him. His offensive linemen are literally carrying him after every completion. Then there's also Tiger Woods. In 2008, he won the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. I remember going home from work, watching that, him playing the playoff against Rocco Mediate. He had stress fractures in his leg and a torn ACL. I mean, that's that's bonkers. And of course, everybody knows the legend of Michael Jordan, the, the legendary flu game, which actually he had had food poisoning. He had a really bad pizza and he was super green, but he still went out and had 38, seven and five against Utah in route, you know, to going to the next game, winning that game, game was it game five and then, you know, knocking them out and winning his sixth championship. Then of course they, you had uh, guys like Willis Reed. They didn't talk about this on sports center, but it's just some other examples. I started thinking about Willis Reed. He had a torn thigh muscle game. He, Game six, he sat out. Game seven of the 70 finals, he comes back. Yeah, he scores the first two buckets, but he harassed Wilt Chamberlain, and uh, they ended up winning. That's the last time the Knicks won a championship. Uh, who remembers Carrie Strew, the Olympian, the gymnast? She is in the 96 Olympics and has to nail a perfect dismount after messing up the first time. This is after breaking an ankle. Okay, and then she goes and she still sticks the landing for the U.S. to win gold in order to beat Russia. Who remembers the bloody sock game? Kurt Schilling, 2004 ALCS. Torn tendons in his right ankle and they kind of like, you know, kind of stitched them together, you know, and, and he, it was coming loose and he's still pitching in route for them to come back. Ugh, I can't believe I'm saying this, to beat the Yankees. I hate that. Ugh. I like the Yankees. But, I mean, you have all of these examples in sports as to how, how these players have, uh, or these athletes, they push through in order to win, in order to <laughs> really become legendary. It's the reason why we're talking about them even today, right? And so I just said, you know what? You know, who, These are the guys that just said, let me just rub some dirt on it and let's go get it. Yeah, so <laughs> kick the music. All right, so the first one that I found, and I, I went from old to more recent. And look, there's a lot of them out there. I just picked some of the best ones that I liked, okay? Larry Wilson in 1965, if you don't know, he's a Hall of Fame safety that played for the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, they played a game in 65 uh, against the New York Giants, and he makes a tackle and ends up landing on his right finger. He said all his weight came down on his right finger. Yeah, okay, shake it off and let's keep playing. And then I think either the next play or a couple plays later, 
He ends up getting his left hand caught between two helmets, smashed between two helmets. Turns out he had <laughs> he had a fracture in the back of his left hand after that, and then fractured his right middle finger. This dude, well, how many players now would stop playing? I mean, there's plenty of them that would come out of the game over some things like that. We've seen it over and over again. But there are the, the faithful few that will say, you know what, tape it up or let's just keep going. Well, not only did he practice the next week, he had casts on both of his hands. Then the next week, game day, week eight against Pittsburgh, you know, he's got these rubber foam pads that they put over the cast so he could play because you couldn't play with hard cast, right? Um, they were down 17 to 14, and he intercepts the quarterback of Pittsburgh at the time in 65 was Bill Nelson. He tips the ball up to himself uh, and gathers it and then returns it 34 yards, and it set up the game-winning touchdown, which was a Charlie Johnson 59-yard touchdown pass to Billy Gamber. You may not know any of these names, but you should know Larry Wilson. He set all of that up for a 21-17 win. And look, he had surgery afterwards, uh, and uh, I think he had played a game at Chicago. He ended up sitting out, and then he came back week 14, December 19th. That's my wedding anniversary, as a matter of fact. He played against Cleveland. They lost that game, and they were sub-500, but it was just the fact that he played with these two broken hands in spite of. He had to have the surgery. He was going to keep going, but I think I read somewhere where one of the bones, I think it was in his broken left hand, started sliding down towards his palms. Like, ah, we can't keep doing this. So let's go on and get this thing fixed. He comes back and has three picks, including a 96-yard pick six in a 27-24 loss. Larry Wilson, everybody don't get into the Hall of Fame. Things like that get you into the Hall of Fame. And then the next year, Lance Allworth decides, okay, you're a defensive back. Well, I catch footballs for a living. I have to have my hand. Hall of Fame wide receiver Lance Allworth with the uh, AFL's San Diego Chargers at the, you know, at the time. 1966, the very next year. Week four, the final preseason you know, week, the final game, he chipped a bone in his right hand against the Raiders. Well, he turned around week one. He kind of played a little bit uh, in that regular season uh, opening game against Kansas City. He turns around, I think it was a ball that Pat Hayden, not Pat Hayden, uh, John Hadle, he throws a deep ball to him, but he throws it short. He's coming back to try to get it and lands on his left wrist, fractures that. So he's got a chip bone in his right hand. He's got a fractured left wrist. He's a wide receiver. So he opts not to get any cast. He gets this five-inch leather brace, and then he tapes, and then, and then he's, and he's got the other one taped or whatever. So this is how he's playing his season in 1966. All he did was play the next 13 games, started the next 13 games. He won the wide receiver triple crown, by the way. Led the AFL with 73 catches, had 1,383 yards and 13 touchdowns. Not to mention, he averaged 18, almost 19 yards per catch. First team all pro. I mean, you can't touch that, can you? I mean, that, that's kind of hard to get past. This dude was tough and they called him Bambi that was his nickname I don't think he liked that very much <laughs> but at the same time you know he said okay I mean you can call me graceful or whatever but I look I I, I can I'm, I'm tough too I play football that's what I do for a living well fast forward a couple years a 14-year veteran in the NFL 201 consecutive games he played five-time first-team all-pro 
three-time second-team All-Pro, two-time defensive player of the year, led the NFL with 18 sacks in 1979, Jack Youngblood. Jack Youngblood and the Rams, they finally reached the Super Bowl in 79. If you remember the episode called So Close, that was on the Rams. It's just how close they got to a championship. They were so good in the 70s for that, for that six-year period, and they could not get over the top. Almost did. Almost did in Super Bowl 14. But from 1974 to 1980, the Rams had reached the NFC title game five times in six years, and those 79 Rams finally won it. They reached Super Bowl 14 against the dynasty Pittsburgh Steelers. He ended up breaking his tibia against the Dallas Cowboys in the first half uh, of the, the 1979 the, the divisional round. And he told the team doctor, who, by the way, didn't know how to tape. <laughs> he asked him to tape his leg up because he thought he could still run. And he went out there and continued to play. And he even, Youngblood, even sealed the game. Uh, the Rams won the game against the Cowboys after losing, I think, 28 to nothing the, the year before. 21-19, preserved a victory over Dallas with a sack on Roger Staubach, who would retire after the game was over. That was his last game. And this dude played in the Super Bowl and the Pro Bowl with a broken leg. I mean, they played the Super Bowl one week. The next week, they go to Hawaii. They're playing. And I don't know if it was in Hawaii. Don't get me wrong. But the next week, he's playing in the Pro Bowl. That's all you need to know. And people thought that he was crazy. Player, his, his teammates thought he was crazy. Other players... But he did it. And the crazy thing is that no one really knew at the time that he broke, except for a couple of defensive teammates. You had Fred Dreyer and, and company. You know, he only had a couple guys that knew it. That they kept everything under wraps until after the Super Bowl was over. You had to keep that under wraps because, you know, you you have players and, and coaches that will say, see that guy right there? He's not right. He has a broken leg and he's out there. I couldn't believe they didn't really figure it out. But at the same time, this guy's, you know, going around with a broken leg trying to play defense. I mean, he was effective as he could be. And you got to tip your hat to this guy for playing. And look, he wanted to play in the Super Bowl. It was the Super Bowl. He had been with the Rams all that time. And they got so close. You think he was going to miss it? Nah. They beat the Cowboys. They go to the NFC Championship game. They beat uh, Doug Williams and the Tampa Bay Bucks, what, 9 to nothing. And they go to the Super Bowl and... Slick kind of had the game won, but that's the sacrifice you make to try to win a ring. <laughs> well, let's get a little more modern, okay? New York Giants fans, again, I mean, they're not going to like this one. January 2nd, 1994, Emmett Smith, in that game, this was, uh, this was the, the, like the season finale. This was for the NFC East crown. They needed to win this game. And here's the thing. If Emmitt Smith played this game and and they and they win, they got a bye. But if they lost, they was going to have to travel. And then that wasn't going to happen. So he played this entire game with a separated shoulder. Those who are old enough, they know what I'm talking about. And Emmitt finished uh, with 32 carries, 168 yards. And he also caught 10 passes for 61 more and scored a touchdown. And they won the game 16-13 to 13 in overtime in the Meadowlands. Eggman only threw for 180 yards. So that the offense and that cold weather that they had to play in that day, it wasn't it wasn't great. And Emmett <laughs> accounted for uh he had to he led them in, in yards from scrimmage period, obviously, but in rushing and receiving. 
uh, and he only missed two plays. So he separate. Uh, he he uh, separated. <laughs> he suffered. Let's speak it right. He suffered a first degree shoulder separation, which that's pretty severe. Um, and then this was in the first half. Safety Greg Jackson almost took him out. He goes to the locker room and he only misses two plays and he comes right back out. So, you know, here's the thing. And I'm going to quote from one of the articles that I got from the Dallas Morning News. And I quote, the crew took a thigh pad made out of foam, cut the middle of it out to form a donut and taped it directly onto Smith's injured shoulder. The shoulder pads were placed on top of the pad. Now, they had to do this in about seven to eight minutes from what I read, and that pad helped hold Emmett's shoulder in place and also lessen the pressure when Smith was hit head on. But it did not help when he was hit from the side or if he was on the ground after being tackled and rolled over. It wasn't going to help with that. Anybody that watched that game, and I remember it, this guy was in serious pain. This is after even taking a pill as well as taking a shot, you know, in order to, to kind of lessen the plant, the pain. And, you know, after the, I mean, he ended up winning his third straight rushing championship. The Dallas Cowboys won the NFC East title in route to their, you know, going to back-to-back Super Bowl champs again, right? Uh, in which even in that Super Bowl, he was the MVP carrying them all the way. In that game, they was going to suggest that he be a decoy. He didn't want to be a decoy. Even Jason Garrett, who was the backup quarterback at the time, he knew that Emmitt had to be in there for the Giants to believe anything. Okay, Did you see the score. It was 16 to 13. So it wasn't exactly a scoring fest. Okay. He also, Emmitt did, asked the lineman to pick him up after every play. He was hurt just that bad. Now, the team doctor, Robert Van, um, Vandiver, and the trainer, his name was Kevin O'Neill. You know, they, like I said, they were the ones who gave him the pill and the injection for the pain. And then the equipment manager at the time was Buck Buchanan. And there was also the um, guy that worked for him, Mike McCord. They made what was called, you know, that, that was the SIP. They were the one who made the shoulder injury pad, the SIP. And that's what got Emmett through that game. So it, you had to know that he had to manage that plane. They, they needed that bye week very badly. Emmett was the key, and Emmett, uh, if you remember that season, <laughs> Emmett won MVP because they couldn't really throw the football in that Super Bowl. And so they had to have this guy healthy throughout the playoffs. If anyone remembers, I mean, Troy Aikman, he suffered a concussion at one point, and he was not right. And they did bring in Bernie Kosar, and he was serviceable or whatever, but Troy still wasn't right, suffered one of his many concussions, even in the... The Super Bowl, he was just off. He was nowhere near the game before. But there you go. Another recent one. Another more recent one. Let's go even further. Let's go to the to the 2000s. I mean, this guy was booed when he was drafted by the Eagles in 99. Yeah, we talking about Dalvin McNabb. Uh, and the thing is, you know, you remember him puking in the Super Bowl and all that. I mean, people have always questioned his toughness, but... Two years before that, in 2002, that was the 2014 that went to the Super Bowl. We'll get to that in a second. But, you know, this guy, <laughs> Philly, Philly fans, they're just tough. It's just the way that they are. I mean, you can't question it. New York fans, Philly fans, they're among the toughest in sports just, just on, on the face of this earth. And, I mean, outside of soccer fans, they're, they're brutal. Uh, so, McNabb, they're playing against the Cardinals. 
he gets sacked by linebacker LeVar Woods and the safety Adrian Wilson. And you can see his ankle get bent the wrong way. Ooh, ouch. Uh, just watch the replay. Google it. Google it. You can see it was bad. Um, but he didn't want an x-ray. I couldn't believe that. He did not want an x-ray. He stayed in the game. And the Eagles won the game 38-14. to The Cardinals weren't that great. It wasn't. But still, uh, he threw for 255 yards and four touchdowns. And then according to, JV, uh, to Jay Greenberg's New York Post article, McNabb, he bounced his first throw, but then he hit 19 of his next 23. Most of these passes, he was throwing literally on one leg. Now, after the game was over, though, x-rays revealed that he had hairline fractures in his right ankle. The fibula, to be exact. Okay, the lower part of the fibula. And he would miss the rest of the regular season. They were 7-3 after that win. And the Eagles uh, had to go to A.J. Feely. Touchy Feely. Yeah. Uh, and Coy Detmer. And they finished 12-4. They got to the playoffs where Matt Nabb did return in the divisional round. He helped the Eagles win. Well, not win, but they won their first round game. Reached the NFC title game where they lost to Tampa Bay. I mean, no harm, no foul, but I mean, they, they lost to the eventual Super Bowl champs. But the guy played with a broken ankle. I mean, that joker was taped up real bad, and every pass he was throwing looked like he was he had to pick that back right foot up and launch it. And speaking of passes and Donovan McNabb, look, we know the history between McNabb and Tara Owens. We know. But one could not reach the Super Bowl without the other. That is a fact. Now, until T.O. arrived in Philly, Andy Reid, Donald McNabb, yeah, I mean, they, they were 0 for 3 in the NFC Championship game. Now, just to be honest, this was the downside of the NFC, or as far as the dynasties are concerned, where New England was beginning to cook. You know, the Cowboys, were they were done by then. Um, and then the Eagles really was kind of the team to beat in the NFC for a while. And they were the ones who were reaching the well at least they were they were one of the better teams but they were reaching the nfc title game consecutive years they were 0 for 3 they lost in 2001 2002 and 2003 uh then they signed an all-pro receiver that helped the offense you know put them over the top at least through the air yes philly reached super bowl 39 and they lost to the new england day uh, patriots the dynasty and it was what 24 to 21 and if you watch that game at all, Philly did have a chance to actually win the game. Of course, we had the McNabb interception that sealed the deal. But Terrell Owens caught those nine balls in those 14 targets that he had for 122 yards on a broken leg. A broken leg. Yeah, they were manning up on him. They went to like double and triple teaming him. And Asante Samuel, who was young at the time, um, he said to reporters afterwards, it looked like that dude hadn't lost a step. I mean, he was pushing through some serious pain, you come to find out. Uh, and, look, and look, again, if there's a slight chance to be able to play in the Super Bowl, I'm sure anybody would do anything to play. See Jack Youngblood. Seven weeks earlier, T.O., he broke his leg and tore a ligament in his right ankle against the Dallas Cowboys. It's always the Cowboys. Uh, in week 15. And this dad was a year he was an all-pro. Uh, he had 77 catches, 1,120 yards, and a team record for Philadelphia, 14 touchdowns. Of course, um, you know, he was hurt by that age-old dangerous tackle from behind. They pulled him down from behind, and, you know, he, his leg rolled up under him, and that, it was real ugly to watch. I even seen a still photo of it, and it still makes me 
jumpy from this, you know, to this day. Now, Dr. Mark Myerson performed surgery on Owen's ankle and he placed a one inch plate on it, on the ankle joint to be exact, with two screws. Now the fracture, I believe was a slightly below the knee, uh, the kneecap or whatnot. Um, but he had to heal on his own. He missed the previous two playoff games, you know, missed the rest of the regular season, but he was back for the Super Bowl and nobody knew that he was gonna play except T.O. He forced his way onto the field. Doctors would not clear him to play. And somehow, some way, he started the game and of the 72 offensive snaps that the Eagles had, he played 62 of them. These guys, they, they want to play, especially when it gets to winning a championship because you don't know when you're going to come back. An example of that is Phillip Rivers. The 2008 playoffs, Phillip Rivers, man, <laughs> that dude, that, that's one guy that I wish had won a Super Bowl. I really do. He tears his ACL the previous game against the Indianapolis Colts and his doctor, the team physician for the Chargers at the time, David Chow, um, he was basically trying to talk Phillip Rivers into not playing the following week in the AFC Championship game in New England. And Chow told him that, you know, look, let's talk to your wife, let's talk to uh, your dad, your agent, the coach. And Rivers simply said, I don't know when I'll have another chance to play for the Super Bowl. And I'm going to play and he was not trying to hear anything anybody was trying to say he's like look let's 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 do some surgery and then let let's see what i can i can do this thing i, I can do it and the crazy thing is child had the trainer you know get down and play center for him so he could try to take snaps from under center he couldn't bend down to do it rivers couldn't do it but he's like still bump that i'm playing Let's do the, the surgery. And Monday, Monday, he had arthroscopic surgery for the meniscus that he injured as well. And not to mention he had two bad knees. Anyway, going into the AFC Championship game. He played. He played. Six days later, he played. And that was an operation that required four to eight weeks in order for him to heal. Now, he wasn't great. He was 19 of 37. Uh, threw two picks. But he kept the charges in the game as best as he could. Now, how different would it have been? Titans fans, y'all remember this name. If his backup, Billy Volick, had played, I don't know. And I'm going to stop right here in order to end the show. But there are so many more. There was more I had on paper. But I'm stopping right here. And I'll, prob I'll probably come back to it. But just keep this in mind. All of these serious injuries, for the most part, every single last one of these players, save one, is in the Hall of Fame, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And that one, Donovan McNabb, kind of considered borderline. But most of these guys, you know, he wasn't dog food. He was a, he was a good quarterback. Um, but most of these performances had championship implications. You probably don't see that as much today, I guess, is my point. But the crazy thing is with social media, the round-the-clock sports news cycle, it's hard to hide anything. And if anything, you find out what these players won't do just as much as what they will do when it comes to them being hurt. Maybe it's the money. In my opinion, it should be the love of the game. But, I mean, I respect both sides. That's it. References. Thanks to ProFootballReference.com. Also, an article written uh, in ProFootballHallOfFame.com by John Kendall, April 2nd, 2017. Gotta hand it to him. I like the name of that article. That was a pretty good article. Uh, Bleacher Report, the 10 guttiest performances in NFL history by Brian Shannon. Also, June 15th. This was written June 15th, 2022. I had some from CBS News. This one's CBS News Boston. 
the 10 gutsiest performances for gutsiest in-game performances, excuse me, by injured athletes written January 11th, 2016. Two of these, these, these next two were written by Brian Diardo. The first one, January 30th, 2023, cbssports.com. Uh, and then the other one was Rams Hall of Famer, Jack Youngblood shares remarkable story of playing in Super Bowl, Pro Bowl with broken leg. That one was written June 28, 2022. Dallas Morning News, the Dallas Morning News, correct myself. This one by David Moore, August 6, 2010. In most courageous game, Emmitt Smith overcame injury to carry Cowboys. Also, New York Post, written by Jay Greenberg, November 18, 20, 2002. McNabb, a hurt hero, tosses four touchdowns on broken ankle. ESPN.com, playing injured, Owens still a handful. This one written by senior ESPN senior writer John Clayton, February 6, 2005. Also, this one, the morning call, Owens surgeon. Super Bowl's a stretch with screws stabilizing. Eagles receiver lower leg healing is likely to take longer. This was written by their staff December 23rd, 2004. That's it. That is it. This has been the Behind the Mic podcast. That was a mouthful of references. Mouthful. <laughs> I am your host, Mike Neal Jr. This show presented by Belly Up Sports, also Belly Up Media. The Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. Again, go to our website, bellyupsports.com. Check out the stories. Check out the merch. Check out the shows. You can catch them on Megaphone. Also, the favorites, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Tell your mothers, fathers, cousins, sisters, uncles, nephews, former roommate about this show, or I will find your house. I'm out. I'm out.